Hello and a very, very warm welcome to the first Greening the News of 2023, the podcast from IEMA, the Institute for Environmental Management and Assessment. Uh, we are sustainability and, and environmental professionals in more than 116 countries around the world. And we're here to help you if that's your bag as well. Now, We've all seen the news over the last couple of weeks, uh, climate change problems, some of the hottest temperatures ever seen in Europe, fatal climate change uh, weather incidents around the world. And I have to say it is difficult, particularly in the northern hemisphere where the light is not abundant, to feel quite low at this time of year. And worries about climate change only increase that mild depression or anxiety that a lot of people feel in January and February. So we thought, let's start on a really positive note. So we contacted the team behind Couch to Carbon Zero, that's Amy Higgins and Sonia Lachman, uh, to help us understand how individuals can make a difference and how easy it can be to make a difference to your carbon. So uh, Amy and Sonia, thank you so much for being part of the podcast. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. Tell us all about it. Assume no knowledge. (laughs) I always tell my guests to do that with me. It's probably the best point of view to have no knowledge at all. Tell us all about uh, what you're doing and how it makes a difference. Sure. So um, thanks for having us. Real pleasure to be here. And as you say, to be part of a nice positive kickoff for the year. So positive hopes for 2023 for everybody. So Couch to Carbon Zero, um, in a nutshell, is basically a 10-day sprint Don't worry, no trainers required uh, for this one. So everyone receives one email from us per day over that 10 days. And in that one email, there is one video, which is no more than five minutes maximum, we promise. This has been specifically designed for busy people. And that email arrives in your inbox bright and early in the day. So you can watch it whenever suits, when you're walking the dog, when you're commuting, in your lunch break, whenever. And you... You get a video basically from Sonia or I talking about a different topic that affects our daily life. And we basically say, look, this is the topic. This is why it's important for the planet. And here's how we can take action. And really crucially, we make that super practical. So taking it beyond the headlines. And in the first week of the sprint, we really look at how we reduce emissions. So we might be looking at our energy suppliers, for example. And in the second week of the sprint, we're looking at how we can restore nature. So for example, you know, the purchases we make, how is that impacting our soils, our oceans, all of those sorts of things. And the key is really to try and act in the moment. This is all about taking action. This isn't just about getting information. And so by the end of the 10 days, you can feel really empowered and proud that you have stepped up for the planet. And companies basically using Couch to Carbon Zero to really galvanize their people on their race to net zero. So it can be from anything from using it as part of a sustainability strategy launch, or indeed, you know, in response to employee surveys where employees are going, look, I love what you're saying about what we're doing as a company, but how can I play my part? That's a really good point, isn't it, Sonia? Because um, I mean, we have a lot of members, particularly early stage professionals, student members uh, and graduate members who are, are very aware of that now. They are making their decisions on what organisations they're based basing their careers on what their values are and whether they're actually doing the do and not just saying it and so you've got a couple of pages in the annual report and with a with a few boxes ticked so how how can you help begin to seed those changes in people's personal behavior through an organizational structure 
Yeah, and I think, you know, I think exactly as you said, that's a really important point, because particularly with Gen Zs, for example, when, they, when they're choosing the organisers they want to work for, they're really looking to see that that's absolutely true and meant and evidenced by action versus just something on a website. So, you know, when sustainability professionals come to us, they're really looking for that, you know, they're really looking for a way that they can bring their people on board. You know, as Amy said a minute ago, surveys are showing that people want it and they want to be able to translate that anxiety, which you mentioned at the start of the podcast, into action because nothing dispels anxiety more than action, you know. So the whole idea of the sprint is, guys, you have a lot of power in this story. Um, you know, the House of Lords report last year said that 32% of um, emissions reductions required by 2025, uh, sorry, 35, are going to come by decisions made from individuals and households. Um, so that's what we want people to own. Yeah, exactly. And, and Amy, about now... On your social media, friend, you either see people who are saying, oh, really getting on with the couch to 5K, did my first 15 minutes, or you have people saying, do you know what, sorry, it all went completely wrong and I've, I've had you know, four pints down the pub and that's the end of my New Year resolution. <laughs> Not that I'm speaking from personal experience or anything, but, <laughs> but in terms of your sprint, I mean, what do people say at the end of it and do they get to the end of it even? Yeah, it's amazing, actually. We've been really blown away. We've had about 5,000 people do the sprint so far since we launched just over a year ago. And we don't expect everybody to do every single day of the sprint. You know, we're, we're covering a lot of breadth in the sprint quite deliberately so that, you know, people can dip in and dip out. But actually, once people do sign up, we get over 80% of engagement. So we're really chuffed with that. And and particularly at the end, we do a kind of, right, guys, let's tally up your scores. Tell us what you thought. And, you know, it's being rated consistently, you know, more than nine out of 10. We've got people saying, oh, at last, you know, I loved the fact it was positive and non-judgmental and crucially that it was bite-sized. I think people are, you know, because we we can watch an hour long documentary and, you know, we watch a lot of those and, and they're very, you know, they're very informative and they're great, but you sort of lose the thread of then taking the action afterwards. So when people go, oh yeah, I watched the videos and actually I was looking forward to watching the videos every morning. And now I've, I've finally gotten around to, you know, doing X or Y that's been on the bottom of my overflowing to-do list for, you know, for years. I've now done it. And now I feel, you know, great about it. So, you know, that brings us loads of hope. But also what we're, what we're finding now is that people are saying, actually, it then started to trigger a conversation at work. And so, you know, I've done it in my personal life, but now I'm looking around at work going, okay, well, well what else you know, can I do and what else should we be doing um, as an organization? And just to give you an example, one of your members actually, Go Cardless is one of our clients and, and they've done the sprint. And there's one um, day where we talk about banking. And of course, they are a payment processor as, as their business, that's their business. And they've had staff come up to them and say, look, we've just heard all this stuff about banks funding fossil fuels. And of course, banks are in our supply chain and are our customers. And so they've now triggered an internal conversation where they've in fact adjusted their customer criteria and included environmental factors in that criteria off the back of the sprint. So we're just like, that's amazing. You know, we were hoping people would take action, but now it's really sort of stepping into the organization side as well. 
That's really interesting. Senya, we obviously our members will have been on some part of the sustainability journey by now. They're certainly interested, they're certainly aware, they may be even experts in their field. Is there anything in the sprint for them? Um, well, it's really interesting, actually. So one of the more recent clients we worked with was one of the wildlife trusts. And so we were really cognizant of the fact that we're dealing with a really switched on crowd um, and had to be also be really respectful of that, actually. So when we do our, we always do a presentation at the start of the sprint to sort of set the context, get everyone, everybody excited. It was really interesting because we do a couple of live things, a, a bit like Amy was just saying, we go, okay, guys, who do you bank with, for example? And the response was, oh, Oh, oops, actually, <laughs> actually, oh, we, we might have known that, but we, you know, we haven't done that yet. Or, or do you know what? I, I didn't realize that. So they may know quite a lot of it. And I mean, listen, none of us can possibly know everything, can we? So yes, there, there's something there for everyone. And as, and as we say, including the stuff that we don't know, we don't know. Yeah. And I guess to that point, it's, it's almost lifting that up the agenda because you might, as you say, know that you need to do something about it, but you just haven't kind of got around to it until somebody's highlighted that for you. Absolutely. And, and listen, it's so easy. You know, we've got t kids, dogs, work, a thousand billion things to do. Um, and we've been meaning to get around to it. So it's just the, the dopamine hit of going, oh, brilliant. Done it. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. And so, and so do you, are you constantly changing the subjects that you're providing for people based on, because it sounds like quite a, an iterative process. You're talking to uh, your clients and they're providing feedback. And then, so is the offer now very different to what it was when you started? Well, it's interesting because, you know, we spend a lot of time thinking about, okay, if you had 10 days, you know, what should we talk about? As Sonia says, of the plethora of things that we could talk about, what are the things that are really going to, to shift the needle? And what are the things that are really important for people to know? So we don't include, for example, things like travel at the moment, because we know we need to fly less, we need to drive less. That doesn't need perhaps a lot of explanation. Um, but one of the things we did include and that um, we used to kick off with when we started was looking at your energy supplier and could you switch to renewable energy? Now, of course, Russia and other players had other things in mind and that led to an energy crisis and everything got sort of blown up quite quickly. Um, and actually, we've therefore shifted it. So with energy is still like a really crucial lever that we've got in our armory as individuals and as households and indeed as businesses. So we didn't want to remove it, but we've shifted the emphasis. So we then changed the video to be about obviously energy efficiency and the things that we can do to conserve energy, which will of course save us money, but also save the planet. Um, but also then we've said, look, we've done our crib sheet of top suppliers and that's now in a cheat sheet that you can download. So when the time is right, when the time comes again, have a look, look to switch to 100% renewable energy supplier. And of course, they're not all born equal. But anyway, we go into that uh, in the video. So we're sort of adapting the content to what is happening. And again, with the cost of living crisis, we started to include more about the cost savings, the money savings that you can make by, for example, buying secondhand gadgets or looking at secondhand clothes or, you know, not wasting our food and things. It's like, actually, look, there's a lot of things where there's multiple benefits, not just the planet through the work that we're doing. And this can help you. I mean, it's interesting having a global membership 
uh, talking to uh, colleagues in Australia and New Zealand where cost of living crisis, which is all encompassing at the moment, I mean, every quite understandably, I mean, every poll, every piece of research suggests that this is ex- the prism through which most people in Europe are seeing everything, energy, carbon, everything. Um, if you talk to Australia and New Zealand or India, where there there is there aren't those energy supply issues surrounding the geography, as it were, um, it's a completely different conversation. And yet the, the principles are the same. Everybody wants to try and find ways of, of saving carbon. So that, that is very interesting. So, I mean, Sonia, when, when you're talking to teams, I mean, do you find that this cost of living, actually, this is fine, but how am I going to save money as well? Is that beginning to come through in the conversations you have with teams? Yeah, I think I think it's definitely more more present for people. I think also that sustainability does have this image that it's got to cost you a lot more money and it's only something for the privileged. Where and of course there's certain things that absolutely applies to, particularly things like infrastructure, heat pumps, insulation, those sorts those sorts of things, they cost a lot. But if you look at sort of the everyday choices that we make, actually there is absolutely no question that living more sustainably is is cheaper more more times than less it's not about getting a fancy deodorant that's got all the right ingredients you know it is about possibly buying less meat which is going to cost you a lot less or as amy said not upgrading your phone when you're offered it but you know maybe selling yours save you some money that way and uh, get a cheaper second model so I think I think the overall upshot is guys don't fall into the, into the trap of thinking looking after the planet is expensive. Um, we can change the game in another way. Yeah, it's it's a really interesting point that about greenwashing. We have mentioned it, talked to it, about it before on the podcast about how you you have companies who are saying, look buy more stuff because it's green and no 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 that's not where you start with when it comes to uh, to uh, shopping and and consuming sustainably so I mean, when you work with clients do you find uh, that there is maybe sometimes a bit of tension about that because obviously if you're working in the private sector you're probably going to be selling a service or selling something to someone yeah, I think it's a really interesting question. I think the clients that we've had so far, um, a lot of them have actually been sort of service companies, so technology companies, uh, financial services companies, um, less on the retail side. <clears throat> but you're absolutely right. And it's one of the points that we make um, in the presentation that we do to staff that actually consumption is really been one of the major issues that's led us to this point as a planet. Um, I think the British Retail Consortium said that about a third of an individual's emissions can come from stuff, from all these purchases. So, you know, our our message is really, look, be thoughtful about the purchases that you make. Um, and we really try and cut through some of the greenwashing that's out there. And so on the cheat sheets and things that we provide, we say, look, these suppliers, these brands, and we haven't been paid anything by any of them. These are just the people that we know and think are doing really good things. And again, just encouraging people, you know, with the the R's, reuse, repair, recycle, et cetera, you know, don't think that you have to have the nice glass jars for your zero waste purchases from the shop. And you've got to have, as Sonia said, that fancy deodorant, and you've got to have all the kind of external 
accoutrements that make you look like you're sustainable, actually just using what you've got uh, and keeping that lasting as, as long as possible, um, the better. But I suppose to, to go to your question as to what companies, you know, the tensions you might have, what's been really interesting is that they look at the topics that we're covering and they go, hmm, what are we doing with our pension provider and the funds, for example, or who's our energy supplier? Um, and that has also then triggered some kind of investigation at the organization level, which again has been a real um, bonus for us, you know, to scale that impact. Yeah, and, and you're right. I mean, the decisions over pensions, decisions over energy, those are things that you can do, which you probably should be doing anyway. I mean, it's very easy to think, I mean, I'm I'm at the wrong end of the, uh, the the pension spectrum now. But you know, when I was when I started my career, I remember uh, I was at the BBC and there was an HR lady. And I, honestly, if I knew where she was, I would buy her lunch because she forced us all in our mid twenties to sign the pension BBC pension forms because she knew we wouldn't do it otherwise. Because I was thinking, hundred quid a month, you must be joking. You know, I can do so much more. How many how many pints is that? <laughs> And, and now, obviously, thank you, thank you, HR lady, because she did that for us. But you know, these are things probably we need to be taking more care and attention on anyway, aren't they? And and so, do you, do you find that when you have the conversations with people, that they get quite empowered through this as well? Anyway, through uh, just talking about energy and pensions and things that, let's face it, sometimes aren't terribly sexy. Sometimes, Sonia. Yeah, I mean, I think. I know, I know we've mentioned banking a lot on this on this conversation already. It's definitely one of the things that people get most excited about because most people, for two reasons actually. So most people, don't, including us, never realise that you know the top five UK high street banks are massive funders of fossil fuels. So they go, oh my god, I never knew that in the first place. But the second, most people think it's going to be an absolute hassle to change, you know. But when they find out that it takes 10 minutes, like it literally takes 10 minutes and they go, oh my God, I can do this. Um, it's hugely empowering because, you know, while we're running around um, on our bikes and doing our recycling properly, our money is funding environmental destruction. You know, so I think that's a hugely empowering thing to, to go, yes, actually, I'm using my money to create the world that we want to have versus versus the opposite of that. Um, I think possibly the one the one action that people love the least is the pensions one. <laughs> I mean, who loves pensions? Nobody loves pensions, do they? Un unless it's but until it's time to cash them in, and that's the exciting bit. But um, but so that's we intentionally do that on a Friday. We go, okay, guys, listen, you're going to hate this one. We know you are, but this is carbon gold. So we've done it on a Friday. So we're going to talk you through it. And look, this one might take you a little bit longer, but all that running around you're doing, taking your kids to the football and all the rest of it, that's what this is for, so that your kids really have a future. Yeah, that's such a such a good way of putting it. And the, you look at the, the, the money tied up in pension funds, UK pension funds, it is immense and absolutely, and we all have a stake in that and, and we are customers. I know particularly if you've had three or four different jobs or you've moved from one to another and you think, oh, do I really, can I really be bothered with all the paperwork that's going to be hanging on the phone for hours while, you know, your call is apparently important to us and really, you know, <laughs> but it is absolutely totally worth it, absolutely, to, to make those 
to make that difference. It really is because when you think about it, when else are you going to have thousands of pounds to put towards you know the green future that we're trying to build? It's it's such a big hitter. So we're like, look, please don't look away. Just spend the next five minutes with us, and hopefully uh, that can set you on the path. And actually, one one person wrote into us before Christmas and said, right, you've you've empowered me and. Me and my friends have now agreed to sit down on this date and go through our pensions, try and figure out the funds which are, you know, more ethical or ESG um, and make the switch. So, you know, getting their friends involved as well is just fantastic. I was just going to say, we've also had people sit down with their husbands at the breakfast table and you think, oh, my God, we're not going to be very popular in this story. And also, in fact, if you look at how uh, green funds are doing, in which have been, you know, to say the least turbulent times, they are doing very well. They're really washing their face against traditional baskets. You see, you can tell I'm getting very close to my pension because I can say all this. So, so stay awake, please stay awake, people listening. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, it makes complete sense, right? You know, as the world is divesting from fossil fuels, um, that is where the money is going, you know, into that green future. So, I mean, we have to be very careful. Of course, we're not financial advisors and we put all the relevant disclaimers on the, the video, but, you know, that is the future. And, and hopefully the sooner we can all back it, the quicker it becomes. Uh, so time to bring into the conversation our digital journalist, Tom Pashby. Tom, uh, now, bearing in mind we've had a really upbeat conversation, I'm now going to ask you to talk about three big stories that <laughs> jumped out at you over the last year. So if there's any chance of keeping the conversation positive, that would be great. But I quite understand that there might not be. Well, the the first story is more mixed, I would say. Um, it's not all completely bleak. The first story that I've chosen to use is um, the Skidmore Review, which is an independent review that was commissioned by Theresa May's government, commissioned a Conservative MP called Chris Skidmore to do a review into the UK's net zero strategy um, for achieving net zero in the UK by 2050. And that came out three days ago. It was originally due to come out today, but I think that there might have been a leak and all this kind of stuff happened. So it was all published on Friday. And the reception was mixed, I would say. I mean, because obviously it's a Conservative MP that's presenting it to a Conservative government, it's not going to be too vociferous under those circumstances. But I think the main takeaway that people got was that the government needs to accelerate climate action um, and that failing to accelerate climate action could damage the UK's economic prospects because it was all about greener growth, basically, which is something that governments for the past 15 years or so have been trying to kind of crack. Yeah, and Chris Goodmore just took the view that we need to accelerate holistic, whole society, net zero actions. So all the way from, you know, individuals, food, that kind of thing to uh, through, the, through to infrastructure and the whole energy networks. So Sonia, you were nodding vigorously at that. Have you had a chance? I know it's, it was, came out quite late in the day, didn't it, on Friday? So have you had a chance to skim through? Do you think it's of interest? Um, I have to be honest, I haven't actually, but what is absolutely consistent with, with, with for example, the CC, CCC report on the sixth carbon budget is that A, we're running behind and B, back to you know our position on, on individuals, that we will not achieve those targets unless absolutely behaviour change goes up, not just a notch, but a few notches and quickly. Mm, thank you. Yes. And uh, Toby said not all bleak. So if we assume that is the 
non-bleak area? Are we are we are we moving towards bleakness with the next couple? Yeah, going going to slightly towards the extreme end of yeah what we're talking about. So the next story is the president of COP28 got announced. COP28 is being held in Abu Dhabi next year, which is obviously a petro state. The state that's completely reliant or mainly reliant on the export of oil and gas and associated products. Well, the new president is the current chief executive of the Abu Dhabi National Oil Company and chair of Abu Dhabi Future Energy Company, which has obviously caused a lot of controversy because we have an oil executive chairing the next international climate conference. It sounds like the opposite type of person to the type of person you'd hope to be chairing that kind of thing. Um, I don't think there's any really good way of spinning it, actually. <laughs> I think it's just quite bad. Thank you. Amy, again, nodding. Have you, have you any thoughts on, on that? Yeah, I was reading something about it yesterday and they were saying, oh, well, you know, he's also got holdings in renewable energy company, but it's like, you know, 7% versus everything that's on the fossil fuel side. And, you know, the call is for him to stand down from his sort of day job position whilst he holds the presidency. But I just don't see how that is sufficient because you don't change your whole mindset and being just by standing down from a, a role. So it seems... Um, a, a pretty unfortunate, and I think maybe the first time, really, where we'll be thinking, okay, like cop cop continues, but let's all just crack on. Like we know what we need to do. Let's all just focus on on taking action because we can't rely on that system to drive the change we need in the time frame we need it. Um, I was going to say that's a really interesting point about whether him stepping back from his chief executive role at the oil company would be sufficient to create distance between him and fossil fuel interests. Um, I, I wrote in my column for the forthcoming Transform issue saying that it's actually a good encapsulation of the challenge that the world faces because the world, as it stands, is dependent on fossil fuels. The vast majority of the developed world is completely dependent on fossil fuels for things like base load capacity, on energy grids, for um, powering transport networks. I mean, the, the most recent COP just gone was in Egypt, which is also a fossil fuel exporting country. Just because somebody has a job in that industry doesn't mean they're necessarily acting any more or less so in the interests of the fossil fuel industry compared to somebody whose country depends on the fossil fuel industry. And obviously, as I said, the whole world is still very much dependent on it. So, yeah, it will be interesting to see if anything positive comes out. Yeah, it's an understandable concerns, but then understandable, I suppose, to play devil's advocate, that if you're an oil-rich state and most of your economy is based on it, the chances of you finding someone of that of a stature to lead a process like that who isn't in some way involved in oil and gas might be might be quite difficult but yes i mean i i, I there have been a lot of people who've expressed misgivings about that so is it are we up or down on the bleak register for the final story tom i suppose the next one depends on who you are as a person the next one is <clears throat> So the BBC headline is New Plans to Widen Police Powers for Disruptive Protests. This is about an amendment that's coming to the public order bill that the government is putting forward. And so far, I think that the only information we have is from a press release from Number 10, which has said that this amendment to the public order bill will give police greater flexibility and clarity in their ability to stop demonstrators using guerrilla tactics and causing chaos, which is a response to the 
the demonstrations and protests we've seen recently from groups like Just Stop Oil and Extinction Rebellion and Insulate Britain. And this is on top of the anti-protest laws which have, which have come through or are coming through in the Policing, Crime, Sentencing and Courts Bill. And it would give the police, the vaguer these laws are, the more powers it gives the police because they can then call on these laws to back up whatever actions they have, uh, whatever actions they're undertaking. So obviously groups like Just Up Oil and Liberty, the human rights group, have said that this is not a good move. But we'll have to see what actually comes through Parliament. Sonia, I mean, working uh, as you and Amy do in public sector, service sector, as you said, your clients, is there a view that you've seen expressed from the people that you work with about whether Just Stop Oil, Extinction Rebellion, whether that has a positive or, n- or negative effect on people who are not very committed or don't maybe have particular opinions in this space? Mm, it's a it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because XR definitely has very polarised responses, as as does just just stop oil. Um, I mean, as far as the sprint the sprint goes, we don't really go there uh, because again i mean we're focusing on the on the positive stuff guys here's here's what we can do and we very intentionally depoliticize it so you know that's that's very much our stance so in that sense it doesn't really come up uh that much in our conversations personally i will ever be thankful to xr because it, it was XR that woke me up to exactly where we stand in April 2019. You know, so it's very interesting, the government stance, you know, are they paying attention to the right stuff? Are they paying attention to policing? Or are they paying attention to what these protesters are actually saying? Um, yes, so. and we should say, and I'm sure Tom would have done as well, that not that, he, not that they've gone. <laughs> Tom's still here. I'm just saying, uh, in terms of the conversation, opposition parties, I'm right in saying, Tom, have have said they will be opposing this uh, legislation. And of course, we're not quite sure. I mean, Tory party's got an HE majority in the House, but there may be, I suppose, rebellions within the Conservative Party. Do, do we know? I think that it's fair to say that the opposition is split on this kind of issue, partly because the leader of the opposition is the former director of public prosecutions and so tends to take the side of giving the police more powers generally. And I've just had a look at the BBC article and it does say that, well, it basically refers to his opinion about the tactics that Just Stop Oil has used. And he says that they are wrong and deeply arrogant. But I know for a fact that there'll be lots of Labour MPs who will be opposing any any effort to give the police more powers. So I don't think that there's a kind of doesn't necessarily cohere and unified view on it. I think that it's probably going to be kind of fiery debate, one which will ultimately, it will probably go through because of the massive majority, as you just said. Yeah. And to be fair, that range of opinion does reflect public opinion as well. There are people who, as you say, think uh, this is a very disturbing reduction of human and legal rights and process rights, but there are also people who feels that they couldn't get to hospital, they couldn't bury their loved ones because of the because the disruption that was caused and it hasn't really engaged them in sustainability at all. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Thank you, Amy. Thank you, Sonia, so much for being our guests and being such good sports as well, because I, I 
threw you a few curveballs there, so thank you. Now, quite interestingly, and it is very, very relevant this time, we always say to our guests, are you an optimist or a pessimist? And uh, I think I know what the answer may be, but Amy, optimist or pessimist? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no shockers here. Um, most definitely um, positive. I think you know, our mindset plays such a huge part in what we then are able to achieve. And I think, you know, you've got to be positive. If we think negatively about it, we definitely won't make it. Um, And with every 0.1 of degree counting, um, I feel incredibly positive. You know, I'm buoyed by the the feedback that we get from the people that we engage with, you know, there's a real appetite here. You know, you probably saw the um, public attitude survey by Bayes saying that 85% of people are concerned about climate change. And, you know, people want to do stuff. Life can get in the way, but they want to do the right thing. And that's really playing out in what we see in the sprint. And, you know, we're getting more and more organizations contacting us because they want to turn their sort of strategies into action and you know, there's a competitive imperative now that's coming out in the marketplace, which is fantastic. So I'm like, yeah, come on, guys, we can do it and let's accelerate. Brilliant. Senya. So I prefer the stance of active hope. That's where I stand. Oh, interesting. Oh, that's a bit that I have to say that is a bit of an outlier. And most people say, oh, interesting. So yeah, active hope. Uh, active hope. So, uh, so what I mean, yeah, what I mean by that is hope without action is just dreaming and if you don't have hope you can't do a thing so for me action is hope action is positivity and there isn't and we all know this there's not a single sustainability professional on the planet who is not deeply confronted and disturbed by where we're at but the only choice is do what needs to be done put one foot in front of the other and do it. Active. Oh my goodness. I love that active hope. Yes. That is such, that's a, such a good way. Um, we might add that as a third option. <laughs> Optimist, pessimist or actively hopeful. <laughs> I can't, I can't claim that as originality. I've definitely, I've definitely seen it somewhere, but it completely resonated with me. Amy, Sonia and Tom, thank you so much for a brilliant, brilliant uh, conversation. And uh, really, I'm feeling very optimistic now for the rest of the year. Um, And talking of the rest of the year, that's it for this series. Thank you so much to everyone who's been listening and giving your thoughts and comments. A lot of the content you'll recognise came from the points that you have made over the last few months. That's it for series one. Uh, We'll be back again later in the year with a new series and some fab new guests and a slightly different format. So look forward to talking to you then. Until then, have a great 2023 and see you soon.